We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The podcast today presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC and you'll get your first deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Let them know that I'm the one that told you about MyBookie by using my promo code KevinDC. That helps us. That will help you. That'll give you your deposit bonus uh, all the way up to $1,000 matched. Tommy, last night in the NBA playoffs, I bet um, Miami in the opener against Milwaukee. It was one of two NBA bets, playoff bets I met over the weekend, but I had Miami plus five and a half. I actually bought it to six on Saturday. Game went to overtime. I actually won that bet. And last night was one of those fortunate situations in betting where when you're a better and you don't get down on a game because you had bad clock management, the game started at eight. For whatever reason, I, I thought it started later. Um, and I was going to bet Miami plus five. The line was actually shorter last night. And the game started. And, you know, then I would typically look for an in game bet opportunity to sort of get the number where it was or maybe even improved. But Milwaukee was up at the end of the first quarter on Miami, 46 to 20. And they ended up <laughs> winning by 34 points. So, you know, usually it works the other way, but last night I got the break um, by not getting down on the Miami Heat last night. Uh, the Bucks covered easily. By the way, the Wizards tomorrow night in their, uh, in their game two at Philadelphia are eight-and-a-half-point underdogs on my bookie. So about a point, half-point difference from game one. My bookie, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. I uh, just want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast, and especially on Apple, if you haven't rated or reviewed it, if you could do that, it really takes 30 seconds, takes five seconds to rate it uh, a five-star, and takes another 15 seconds to write a one-liner that says you really enjoy uh, the podcast. That helps us um, with our advertising uh, attempts, and we do have a lot of advertisers, and we're so pleased with them, um, but we it's not that we could use more on the advertising front. We've got plenty of advertisers, but we could certainly um, you know, charge them more, which would be great for us too. Uh, and to do that, we need, um, we need you to subscribe. We need you to rate and review us. Uh, just being totally transparent on that front. We've got a lot of advertisers. We're thrilled about it. Um, but uh, based 
on everything, um, it's sort of an equation. It's like the more people that like your show and rate it and review it, uh, the higher you can charge them in terms of rates. So help us out on that front if uh, you don't mind. Tommy's with me today. If you missed Scott yesterday on Phil Mickelson's win, I would urge you to go back and listen to that segment. Uh, It was great on yesterday's show. Tommy's got a column out that I was reading. Um, Basically, as we uh, were getting ready for the show, and he had a line at the end of this column that made me laugh out loud. We'll get to that, but we're going to start with the Capitals because you have not had a chance to weigh in, and this was what your column was about. Um, was about the big decision, and I talked about it yesterday, the big decision that the brain trust of the Capitals made, um, and God, they are smart, just ask them. Uh, Absolutely. The, the decision they made after winning a Stanley Cup. Yeah, you may remember it. They won the Stanley Cup three years ago, Tommy. Washington did. And then what did they do 11 days after they won the Cup? Well, I, I wrote. They, they, all the, these men of intelligence, compassion, and empathy, they probably sat in a room. They had the Stanley Cup trophy right on Ted's desk, and they looked at each other, and they said, how hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> you know? We'll just get somebody else to do it. Uh, I'm, we'll get Reards to do it. Yeah, we'll get old Coach Reards because he was the one, remember, we were told this, he was the one oh, responsible yeah. for winning the Cup anyway. I mean, Barry was just along for the ride. He he was on. He was lucky to have his job at that point. He was. It was Reard. And we, we, we read this from the media who covered the team. Oh, no, absolutely. I remember conversations with everybody, and they said, Look, I mean, Barry's a terrific coach, and he's, you know, this is the first cup. You know, this is the furthest they've been. It's the first cup in franchise history. It's the first title in D.C. history since 1991. But, man, Jeff uh, Reardon, Todd Reardon, Jeff Reardon's a pitcher. Todd Reardon, old Reards, Coach Reards, he's really the X's and O's genius behind the whole thing. That's what we were told. What surprised me about that, mm-hmm. I mean, from veteran reporters who should know better, I mean, you, you, should, you should have covered sports long enough that you know there's a big difference between being the assistant and the head coach. A huge difference. Right. I mean, it, 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 they're, they're, the, the, the shorts get a lot tighter uh, when you're the head coach as opposed to the assistant. You know, the players love you when you're the assistant coach because you're not the head coach and they go and bitch at to you all the time about the head coach and now you're the head coach now you're the bad guy you know there is a huge difference and there's a lot of assistants that just can't cut it and you shouldn't automatically think it's just a a slide-in situation there's a lot more than X's and O's involved. Well, don't you There's remember, a lot of pressure. Don't you remember the issues Jim had when he became co-regional manager? You yes. know, and, and he was making he was making all these decisions, and even Michael Scott had to come in and say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I made that mistake too." Um, <laughs> you know, Tommy, that is so true. Just in almost any sort yes. of team or company situation. You know, everybody always below the top decision maker, 
in their own mind, they can always do it better. And, oh, they would have done it this way or they would have done it that way. And, you know, in a lot of different places, you'll get the backbiting and you'll get, you know, the assistant coach or, you know, the the, the vice president of sales saying, you know, I, I personally, I wouldn't have spent more than five minutes with that particular client, but he wanted me to, whatever it is, you know, but it is a completely different chair when all of the decisions and everything you know w- related to the team is on your shoulders and Reardon lost that team in a year I like, know it wasn't even close they, they, they quit on him in the Carolina opening series that year well no no they quit on him in the Islanders series last year in the bubble that was the story oh, the, the Carolina yeah, series but they, no they quit on the Carolina series they wound up losing one game five nothing yeah, but they lost games. At least that one went to to a seventh and decided yeah. game and went to double overtime. You know, they That's were pretty true. close to advancing. Last year they got beat 4-1. And then as you pointed out in your column, they bring in the veteran coach again like they did with Trotz. Well, maybe we should try it this way. Yeah. And, you know, they lose in five games to Boston. Um, I will remind you, you did like the Caps uh, on oh, Thursday. No. I was surprised. Yeah. I was I thought after the first two games it'd be a seven game series and it would be they'd all be close games. Tommy, the whole hockey thing is crazy. I am gonna I'm gonna run run it down for you right now. It's just this way, it seems like it's this way every year. So seeding wise, Pittsburgh's the one seed, a uh, Barry Trotz's New York Islanders are the four seed. The Islanders won game five last night, three two in double overtime. They're up three games to two. Uh Boston was the lower seeded team. They took out the higher seeded team in five games. Carolina is the one seed. Nashville's the two, the four seed. That series is two games apiece. A, a Florida's the two seed. Tampa Bay's the three seed. Tampa Bay's up three games to two. Toronto's the one seed. Montreal is the four seed. Uh, the Maple Leafs lost the first game. They are up two one now in that series. Winnipeg was the lower seeded team. The three they just swept the two seed, who I think won like six more games than Winnipeg did and had a lot more points. And Winnipeg. Ousted Edmonton, who, by the way, have that next star of the game, Connor McDavid. They beat him in four straight. Um, the Avalanche uh, are the team that a lot of people like. They did sweep the four seed. But Vegas is now in a series with Minnesota 3-2 going to a six-game. Vegas was one of the favorites to win it all. It's just, it's the hockey postseason. I mean, you just it's utterly unpredictable. But I do want to just give you credit for a line that made me laugh out loud. <clears throat> and I will read it to everybody right now. So Tommy's column, um, which was, you know, basically... Uh, ripping um, Ted and all of the, you know, the Ted brain trust uh, for not paying Barry Trotz. By the way, I want to mention this. You know, you wrote, you wrote, you know, Barry, Barry Trotz, the coach of the Stanley Cup championship team, the first one the franchise had won in its 44-year history, wanted a new contract that would take him from being among the lowest-paid coaches in the league to one of the highest at $4 million a year. But Trotz had a deal, the men of intelligence, empathy, and compassion – were determined to hold him to a two-year extension of his existing contract with a $300,000 bonus for bringing the franchise its greatest single moment. That is so, like, in the moment I felt this way. I remember talking about it. That's I don't know what they were willing to give him, and maybe he was, you know, hard and fast on $4 million a year. But if really they wanted him to stick to that deal, the two-year extension at whatever he was earning, what was it, two million or a million eight or something? I think with, a million eight with a three hundred thousand dollar bonus. That is the definition of penny wise pound foolish. 
the definition of it, like we're so smart and yes, they were so smart and they thought they had a, an alternative solution, but in, in a situation in which you're not sure that you've got the right solution, I mean, ah, you know what, Barry, we did have that in there and you did sign that deal, but my God, I mean, look at the cup, look at how pretty yeah. it looks. I mean, if you, you wanna, are if a guy. If you're going to make a mistake, you make a mistake with the guy who got you there. I think so. Not the unknown. Yeah. Um, And, of course, you refer to the business of happiness, which we've referred to many times. That was Ted's book from 10, 12, 15 years ago or whatever it was, which was truly one of the more self-indulgent, you know, books of all time. A guy that... You know, had learned how to be happy so much that he was willing to tell you how you could be happy. And you refer now to somebody should write a book called The Business of Arrogance. But the best um, line uh, is when you get to the end and you wrote, you know, the chaos around, you know, this season could have happened under trots as well. That's true. But by the way, if it had happened under trots, they wouldn't be criticized for keeping trots. Um And you write, you know, that uh, now we sit with all sorts of questions about the future of this team as they have squandered three seasons in the twilight of Alex Ovechkin's career, a career that is now in question. Uh, He is set to become a free agent uh, uh, this offseason. When asked about his contract following their 3-1 elimination loss to Boston on Sunday, Ovechkin said, we just lost a playoff series. Let's talk about my contract and stuff later on. And then you wrote, no one seriously expects Ovechkin to leave. Everyone assumes the business of arrogance that has put this franchise in this position doesn't extend so far as to say goodbye to one of the greatest athletes this town has ever seen. But hey, you wrote, Morgan Moses is gone. Anything's possible. (laughs) Morgan Moses is gone. Anything's possible. Oh, my God. Morgan Moses is gone. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I know. Oh, to compare him. You know what? There are some people out there that probably would compare him to Alex Ovechkin. It certainly seemed (laughs) like it last week. By the way, just um, to throw this in there again, I know I've said this already. And and I, you know, I did, I think on the podcast yesterday or maybe on Friday or maybe I did it on radio. I can't remember now. I, I did question the timing. Like, why not wait, you know, until you see if you can get something? So I did have a conversation with somebody late yesterday and, and I asked that question and they said, yeah, they didn't want to wait. Why not? They were just ready to move on from Morgan Moses. You know, understand that there's a lot that we don't know. Okay. Yes. A lot of us. a lot we don't know. You know, know the, the, the conversation about, um, oh my God, how stupid is this? Like, even if they think Cosme's better, he's a rookie. Like, even if they think Leno and Lucas, you know, or whatever, you know, let's wait, let's wait. And, and I think it's a reasonable question to say, you know, you have hurt your depth. You're taking a big risk with a rookie and why not wait? Well, you know, I, I, no one's told me that Morgan Moses is like a bad guy at all. In fact, great work ethic, you know, smart, um, good teammate, the whole thing. But, you know, not bought in completely. Has a lot of questions about how things are done. Like maybe, Coach, why don't we think about doing it this way? And after a while, it just became, you know, he's not good enough if he's not going to buy in to the way we're doing it 100% like everybody else is. Yeah, I mean, one of my rules is if you're going to make your own rules, 
you better be so good at what you do that they can't ignore you. Yes. Yeah, so I think there is a lot there that sort of deals in that general arena of conversation. You know, at some point, you want to say, oh my God, he's a dictator. It's his way or the highway. And this isn't good. Well, why isn't it good? Because what? The other ways work so much better? Yeah. Because yeah. 3 and 13 and 7 and 9, like, you know, like I, I just, Ben Standig wrote about this and, and he did a really good job of writing. It's like, isn't this what everybody sort of wanted? They wanted somebody to come in that would have the ability to make these decisions, the autonomy autonomy to create a culture which they believed in that if you didn't adhere to, that you'd move on from? Like, how many times did our good friend Richard Doc Walker say, well, how much have you won with him? Like, it, nobody should be expendable on this roster after a 3-13 and season. Of course not. Now, I don't totally agree with that. There are really, really good players on 3-13 and 13 teams that, that might be young and might be in a good contract situation. You don't want to get rid of everybody because then you have to replace everybody. But Morgan Moses, to stand on that hill and fight that battle over Morgan Moses, I don't get that at all. I don't get that don't at all. I don't either. So I don't either. Have at it. Um, and look, you could be right. Down the road, you could be right. Like Cosme turns out to be a bust. Lucas gets injured. Uh, they don't have anybody, and they're dealing with some of the issues they dealt with in like 2017, you know, with the offensive line where they're, you know, taking guys in off the street, and you're like, man, they really screwed it up with Morgan Moses. You could be right. But right now, they want people who are bought into this culture change and aren't questioning anything. And if you don't like that, okay, that's your prerogative. But this is sort of what a lot of you did want. Like you wanted somebody that would be given the opportunity to do it his way if that somebody was competent. You may not love Ron Rivera, but he's a competent head coach. Yes. And he's a absolutely. competent and, and he has a, and he's proven he has to a be track a good leader. Record of accomplishment. And he's proven to be a competent leader as well. Look at the reaction. Again, I've pointed to this many times. When he got fired in Carolina, the reaction from his current players and former players was overwhelming. Overwhelming. And by the way, his best players, too. They loved him. They respected him. So is he a great coach? Is he a Hall of Fame coach? I don't see that. Is he you know, top half of the league coach? I think he is. I think he's somewhere in the top half of the league. And he's a leader, and he's gone through a culture change before, and he's learned a lot. And for now, you know, Danny is letting him do it. At least it would appear. So I'm going to let him do it too. Um, doesn't mean that you know when we get to week three and he goes for two at the wrong time, I'm not going to be sitting here questioning it. But I'm certainly not going to get worked up over Morgan Moses. And again, there's a lot we don't know. And what we don't know that I've been told, that I believe in, in my sources on this, is you know Morgan wasn't totally bought in. And that's what he's looking for right now. And if he were really, really good, like if it were Chase Young and he wasn't bought in, well, you're going to deal with it if he's really good. But he's right. Morgan exactly. Moses. He's yeah. Morgan Moses. You make allowances. And you know what? Here's what I bet. I'll bet you that the offensive linemen at the OTAs right now look great. <laughs> of course we're going to be told that. And hey, yeah, I bet you they look great. You know what? I'll bet you the quarterbacks look fabulous. I'll bet, I'll bet you something else. I bet you a lot of those people, they won't say it. 
But I bet you a lot of those people aren't surprised that Morgan Moses is gone. Well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Why did it take that? you so long to respond to that? Well, because I don't, I don't, I mean, I could care less if they're surprised. I thought I had lost you there for a second. I'm going to have to go back and make an edit there to shorten it up. There was like like an eight-second delay on that answer. I don't understand the point of the state. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to pick on you here. Okay. I don't understand the point of the the statement. Who cares if they would be surprised? The point is, is that they saw it coming, and everybody else that's so adamant that it shouldn't have been coming, they just don't know as much as the people out there know. That's all. That's the point. It was just uh, it was just an extension of the original point with people you know, who would be it was, it was who would be more in the know. Too, it was a bridge too far. Uh, well, it, you know, sometimes it is for you. Um, <laughs> I understand that. Uh, they are out at OTAs, um, and it leads to a conversation. Two of them about the football team that I want to have. Uh, number one is Julio Jones is available. Would you? And number two is something that Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times Dispatch said to me this morning on the radio show about what Ron Rivera's expectations are for the season that is upcoming. We'll get to both of those topics right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. So Michael Phillips, Tommy, was on the radio show with me. He was on his way up to Ashburn for OTAs. The next three days we'll have, I think, a lot of positive news coming out of Ashburn. Um, 
one thing real quickly just to point out, 80-plus players showing up for OTAs. That's impressive. Is an impressive sign um, for yes. Ron yes, Rivera, the head coach. There are a lot of teams that aren't even doing this right now. Um, they're voluntary. Yeah. Uh, he said something to me that I was surprised at. He said, I think that if you injected Ron Rivera with truth serum, I'm paraphrasing here, that his actual expectations for the upcoming season wouldn't be the playoffs. That he's still in the in the midst of sort of this rebuild, this culture rebuild, and that his expectations aren't the playoffs in 2021. And I was surprised at that because I, I, I don't agree with it, but I think it leads to an interesting conversation, which is something that Michael pointed out, which is, you know, the expectations have sort of been reconfigured here after making the playoffs versus if they were seven and nine and they hadn't make, made the playoffs. Like the expectations now are that this team with that, you know, vaunted defense and with Ryan Fitzpatrick and with the additions and the really good free agency and the, the great draft that they should make the playoffs next year. And that, that 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 those are sort of the expectations. Whereas if they'd gone seven and nine and not made the playoffs, there may have been a lot of positivity about the offseason, but the expectation wouldn't be playoffs. What do you think the expectation first of all, do you agree with him that Ron Rivera, if injected with truth serum, would tell you that he's probably not expecting to make the playoffs this year? You know, it would be such a shot in the dark. I mean, I'm assuming Michael Phillips, who covers the team, knows Ron Rivera, who I've never met, much better than I do. So I would think his read on the coach would probably be far more accurate uh, than than I would think. I, I mean, I've you know, uh, if he thinks they don't have the quarterback that they need in the playoffs, if he thinks that Dallas with a healthy Dak Prescott is going to be head and tails better than everybody else in, in, in the East, then, yeah, I, th- I think that's probably is the truth. I think I can only judge him on his actions, right? So his actions, and I can't judge him in the same way Michael Phillips and the guys that talk to him all the time can judge him. I think the action of trying to trade for Matt Stafford, but much more so trading for a veteran, an older veteran quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick, is a tell that he thinks that they've got a chance to make the postseason this year. That that he's got a good enough team, his defense will be improved further in this upcoming season, especially after you know after adding you know Jackson at corner and hopefully whatever Jamin Davis becomes. Hopefully he's the guy that they think he is. Um, he looks real good so far in the OTAs, oh apparently. God. All right, let's stop on that. Looks very good. Well, I've already seen you know a, a picture and video of Cameron Cheeseman's first NFL practice snap, and it, you know it's pretty good, pretty good. I mean, it's right there, right on the money on a punt snap. Um, but I think that the signing of Ryan Fitzpatrick is an indication that he wants to win games this year. He wants to get back to the postseason. He wants to continue to continue that momentum. And by the way, I don't think that it has anything to do with what, what maybe you think it has to do with. If you were to agree with me that you know he wants to keep the owner at bay, I'm sure there's some of that in his mind. But I just think he feels like there's an opportunity in the division that he's in, which isn't great, even though Dallas looks like the best team on paper in the division. The young defense, the improved offense, and he didn't want to go in and play four quarterbacks next year. 
He wants to have one guy that's ascending. And remember this. Remember what he said just a few weeks ago when he said, when we signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, we didn't necessarily consider it to be just a one-year solution. Now, they signed him to a one-year deal. But I, I, that was one of my first reactions is maybe this isn't just one year. Maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick is the quarterback here for the next two years or three years. We're seeing these guys play older and older, and he, he's been ascending here the last two years. Maybe the, the true highlight portion of his career are the next two or three years in Washington. My expectations, Tommy, I don't know what Ron Rivera thinks, but I think his action of, of – of, Attempting to trade for Matt Stafford, but much more so a 38-year-old and Ryan Fitzpatrick signing him is an indication that he thinks he can win enough games to get to the postseason this year. Um, It could be, by the way, it could be just a way for him to ensure that he's got one quarterback and he can evaluate the rest of the team and he can give the rest of his team a chance to develop rather than playing four quarterbacks. You know, that could be part of it too. My expectations are that this team is going to continue to improve because I do believe in the coaching staff and I believe in the head coach and I believe in a lot of the young talent. So it, it will continue to improve. But that like an 8-9 and nine or 9-8 nine and eight non-playoff season is the most likely outcome right now. Like I, I kind of feel like Dallas is better. I think the Giants will be improved. Um and even though, you know, Paulie called in this morning and said, you never, you, you always say you don't play the schedule game, but he said, I have this sense that you're playing the schedule game this year. I think he's right, actually, to a certain degree, because I've never seen a team have on their schedule as many great quarterbacks and receivers as the ones they'll face this year. You know, Herbert and Keenan Allen in the opener. Week three, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. Week four, Matt Ryan and who who knows who will be the receivers there. You know, week six, Patrick Mahomes and Tariq Hill. Week seven, maybe Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Um, week week nine uh, or week ten after the bye, Tom Brady and all of his receivers. Week 12, Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf. Like last year, they won seven games Five of them against backup quarterbacks. Two of them against starters, Carson Wentz and Ben Roethlisberger. And Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers were at the beginning of their nosedive. So All good points. I, I just... All, all, I, all good points. It's hard to ignore the schedule. This year... It, uh, it's, given, given how difficult it seems. I... I I, I'm not. I'm not discounting what I always discount, which is we don't know what that team's going to be like by the time we get there. But if that if those teams aren't you know injured and the quarterbacks and the receivers and they're still really good teams again this year, those are really difficult games. And by the way, I made the point there earlier this morning. Boy, the addition of William Jackson and the cornerback situation against these quarterbacks that they're going to face in the first 10, 11, 12 weeks. The pass rush is going to be there, but these teams know how to scheme around pass rush with great quarterbacks and great receivers. The corners are going to be crucial. And and I'm I'm excited about Jackson and I'm excited about Fuller. And you know, but they, you know, they they last year they had an issue stopping the run at times. Um and uh and they're going to have to make sure that they're able to cover people this year. Um, well, your record that you you basically flirted with nine and eight or eight and nine cowardly. Uh, no, I mean remember I predicted when we did do when I did do the schedule game 
that they would wind up seven and ten. Right. So eight and nine is just one game off. I think that's reasonable. CBS Sports did a ranking of the projected defenses defenses in twenty twenty one and and who had the best defense, et cetera. They had Washington as the number one defensive football team in the league. That is really lofty. That is incredible. And there's no doubt. It's really interesting, Tommy. Everybody outside of this market thinks Washington's really good defensively. And they were good defensively. And they've got a chance to be even better defensively this year. With the addition of Jackson, with the return of guys like Collins and Ioannidis and who knows what Jamin Davis. But really, you know, another year, year two in this system. They're well coached defensively for the first time in a long time. But, man, that is, that's up there. I mean, I, Tampa's defense is awesome. I, there's no way I would rank Washington's defense better than Tampa's. I wouldn't rank it better than Baltimore's. I wouldn't rank it better than Denver's or Miami's. Now, all those teams are there in the top ten. Um, I think Washington definitely, you know, if they would, if they'd come in fourth or fifth on this list, that would have been fine first. And yet, everybody has this incredible expectation about them defensively. And yet, you know, they're over under in Vegas is eight. You know, they're playing 17 this year, so eight's not 500. Eight is less no. than 500. Dallas is is sort of a sizable favorite to win the division. Um, and, you know, and they've added big-time weapons offensively. Curtis Samuel, you know, a better quarterback. They should be more dynamic at quarterback than they've been in five years. You know, they 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 have a, a receiver that's, you know, right now, you know, a, a – a top 15 kind of receiver in the league in Terry McLaurin. Anyway, um, the other thing is this Julio Jones thing. So did you see what happened to him yesterday on Undisputed with Skip and Shannon, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless? I mean, I have a vague uh, idea that he thought he, he didn't know he was on the air when he was talking to Shannon Sharp. Is that the deal? Yeah, apparently. He, apparently he didn't know, uh, you know, he's friends with Shannon Sharp, Shannon Sharp. They, they were talking about Jones and of course, Skip Bayless saying he should go to the Cowboys. And so they called him up and Jones apparently didn't realize that he was on, you know, national television. And then he said, you know, as far as Atlanta, he goes, no, man, I'm out of there. I'm out of there. Um, and so, then they then they told them like whoever them I don't watch that show whoever the moderator is um, she said have you guys told him that he's on TV um, apparently a lot of uh, people were weighing in including agents of players saying that's why they tell their players never to go on that show I don't know what the situation was bottom line is he appeared to have been caught off guard and he the the, the big takeaway though is he said I'm out of there. So I, I was reading various things about the teams he could be traded to. Washington was mentioned a couple of times, but very much down the list. What was surprising to me to, me, to a certain degree is what the expected compensation for him will be. And the expected compensation, you know, like Bill Barnwell and others, you know, a second rounder, a third rounder, maybe a second and a fourth, something like that, a third and a fourth. For Julio Jones, who's under contract yeah, for the I, next three years? I, I was surprised. I was talking to somebody, uh, and uh, I was really surprised at what they thought it would take to get him. He's 32 years old. He was injured last year, had hamstring issues, missed the most games since he was a younger player, missed seven games last year. But, Tommy, 
this is a great player. Like, this isn't a good player. This is a great player. And this may get your mind in wheels thinking about this. But I said this on the air without thinking about it, and I could be wrong, and I haven't gone back and done all of it. But when he's done, he's going to be a top 10 receiver of all time. Not just statistically, but in terms of how unbelievably good he was um, on the field. He's a dominant player. Is he Jerry Rice? Is he Randy Moss? No. Is he in the next category of conversation of receiver? By the time he gets done, he could be. He's 32 years old. That's an issue. He's coming off an injured season. That's an issue. He's a 15 to $16 million salary cap hit. That may be an issue. Um, he's also, you know, many people think, past the best portion of his career. But I went back and looked at it. Rand, uh, Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens, Steve Smith Sr., Anquan Bolden. There were a lot of guys that had some really good years, several of them, after 32 years old. So... If I were Washington, look, Aaron Rodgers would be number one on my list of people to chase in terms of a trade if they're available. Julio Jones is a distant, distant second, okay, right now. But if you told me all I had to do was give up a second and a fourth rounder for Julio Jones, I think I would do it. So would I. Absolutely. I mean, based on what we know right now, uh, I, I, I would as well. Are there any coaches... On this, I don't know if there's any coaches in Washington that have had, that have worked with Julio Jones. Anybody from the Atlanta staff? I don't think there is. Uh, Plenty of people on know, the Atlanta staff of, that had to coach against him twice a year. Yes, that's true. Uh, but uh, I agree with you. I mean, for a second and a fourth uh, to have that that guy. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. But you know, fans are funny. They, they, they like, like I said, they like their, they like their team in a nice little package, you know, with all the corners folded and stuff. And they've just gotten used to the receivers that Washington is, 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 is on the roster this year. The guys they drafted, the guys they signed, free agency, <laughs> and they're bought into those guys. And now you're going to tell these fans, no, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna tear all that apart. And we're going to bring in somebody from the outside. People don't like that. There really is like this um, this hesitance among a lot of fans. And by the way, I did a poll on this at Kevin Sheehan DC Twitter poll. And basically it's like 60-40, 60% say they wouldn't trade a second and fourth for Julio Jones. 40% say, say yes. You can vote on it um, by going to the poll on my Twitter uh, page at Kevin Sheehan DC. Um, you know, a lot of people say that that's too that's too much to give up for Julio Jones. I mean, the second and fourth, you know, we're building it the right way. It keeps coming back to this: we're building it the right way. And look, Julio Jones is not Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers makes them a Super Bowl contender immediately. Matt Stafford would have made them a legitimate, you know, uh, division favorite and one of the top five favorites, four favorites in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl potentially. Julio Jones may not do that, but Julio Jones is great. Like, he's not good. Like, you put him opposite Terry McLaurin with a great defense, with decent backs, with a quarterback. I mean, the quarterback is an issue, and I, I'm, I'm excited about him. Not everybody is. Um, but a guy that will throw the ball downfield, will give his receivers a chance. 
Um, I don't know. First of all, if I were Atlanta, I wouldn't trade him. They have cap issues. I get it. Uh, once they drafted Kyle Pitts, to me, they were all in on Matt Ryan for the immediate future. I'm keeping Terrell Owens, and I'm putting – not Terrell Owens. I'm keeping, excuse me, Julio Jones, um, and I'm putting him on the field with Calvin Ridley, who I think is very underrated, and Kyle Pitts, and I'm saying we can score 35 points a game. We can certainly score north of 30 a game uh, and win a bunch of games next year. But a second and a fourth, I mean, think about this team's recent past second rounders, Sua Cravens, Darius Geis. I mean, I don't know. To me, it would be sort of a no-brainer. But to your point, and it's a good one, it's like, oh, we just got Curtis Samuel. We just got Adam Humphreys. We just drafted De'Ami Brown. And they're not costing us anything. And it's too much cap space. And it's too much trade compensation. By the way, like it's their like it's their their money and their their draft picks. Well, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, to, I love I love how fans think about the cap and think about if you don't think that way, you're not thinking the right way. That's all. That's all part of what makes up, you know, the roster, the construction of the roster. But a second, a fourth for Julio Jones, like oh, he's 32. I mean. What if he has three great years? By the way, you know, Tommy, this conversation about Julio Jones. So I got some pushback clearly from some older listeners when I said he's obviously a top 10 receiver. He might be a top five receiver when all is said and done. And I, I had I just threw that out there without any of the numbers or without thinking about it. But I went back and looked at it. Like, I, I think we've had this conversation before. But of all the positions in football, there is one more than any other, that when you're having an all-time conversation, there's no debate who the all-time greatest wide receiver is. It's Jerry Rice. Right. No one debates that. Nobody well, does. I mean, running back to Jim Brown. I know, but, you know, that, that would be the other one. After that, Tommy, every other position is a debate. Every other well, position. Well, you know what? Tom Brady is, is pretty much distancing himself in the quarterback. Still a lot debate. of people would debate that. Okay. Nobody debates Jerry Rice. Does any? I, I would argue that Jim Brown is the more undebatable position. Look, uh, this is the, the, the wide receiver in terms of measuring greatness is such a warped practice because – Paul yes. Warfield played for a Miami that. Dolphins team after he got traded there from the Cleveland Browns that didn't throw the ball maybe 15 times a game. But anyone who played against Paul Warfield will tell you that he was probably the greatest receiver in the history of the league. Lance Allworth, same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's but, – but the numbers are – Why didn't you respond to Lance Allworth? So many people have told me and, – and, and... I, I mean, Lance Allworth was great. Okay. But Paul Paul Warfield is the one, the name that comes up when I talk to people from that eight era, right. when I talk to players from that era. And I saw Paul Warfield, and they're right. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a receiver better in the history of football than Paul Warfield. But, you know, kids, they're going to look at you like you got two heads. I mean, he doesn't even have – he probably doesn't even have as many uh, – uh, you know, receptions in his career as, I don't know, uh, pick, pick an obscure oh, oh, Redskins oh. Washington wide receiver, Albert Connell. <laughs> Albert Connell. Um, Paul Warfield on the list of – you want catches? 
hold on for a second because I, I was looking at this earlier. Um, receptions, career. I mean, what, remember the Dolphins were a team that that had that two three run, three one hundred thousand yard rushers. Yeah, one thousand yard rushers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mercury Morris, Jim Kick, and uh, and Larry Zonka, all in the backfield. So Warfield on the list for catches, man, he is down the list. I know. Um, but the eye test. Char, 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 you know, the 242s from that era, and I remember Warfield too. I don't remember him in Cleveland. I remember him in Miami. But there were 242s that were great during that era, Charlie Taylor and Paul yes. Warfield. And was, was Warfield better than Charlie Taylor? Yes. He was? Is, I think so. Is that an obvious yes? I can't say it's an obvious yes. Would most no, would but, most would yeah. most people agree with you? Yes. Really? Yes, they would. Um, Paul Warfield. Tell you what, ask Doc sometime. I know he loves Warfield. I know. Okay. I know he does. And obviously, he he loves Charlie Taylor too. Jesus, I can't even find Warfield on the list of receptions. Yeah, I mean, I, he does not have, again. But, uh, but if, you know, in terms of the eye test, the, the best. Yeah. You know, you're going to have to make your case uh, someday to people who, have, who, who are looking at John Elway's numbers and saying, what are you talking about? He's lucky to be in the top ten. Yeah. I, I, I think um... – I think getting back to Julio Jones, the bottom line is like, you know, after Jerry Rice and Randy Moss, who I would have as the number two receiver of all time, I I don't care what you think about Randy. Randy Moss was just exceptional. Um, I can't speak to guys like Don Hudson. I can't even really speak to guys like Lance Allworth, who my father loved and and swears by. You know, T.O. is definitely in the conversation. Warfield, I will concede he's in the conversation. But like when you start looking at the list of like the the greatest you know pass catchers and in, in era obviously matters, um, you know there are a lot of guys that are in the Hall of Fame like Marvin Harrison and Chris Carter and Tim Brown. I'm sorry, Julio Jones is a better receiver than Isaac Bruce or any of the guys that I just mentioned, you know. And so uh, he's better than Art Monk ever was, and I you know th- that's hard for me to say, obviously. Um, he's better than Andre Reed, who got into the Hall of Fame. James Lofton. Lofton was really talented. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I think I would consider doing it. I, you'd have to really feel comfortable about his injury uh, and about what he's going to be post-32. But there are plenty of examples of receivers who have been really good post-32 uh, you know, post years old. The, the other thing, too, it led to this morning was just a conversation of where he is right now in the game. He's top two or three. I mean, Tariq Hill, Devontae Adams, uh, Julio Jones, and personally I think I would probably include DeAndre Hopkins in that conversation. It's funny. When you start looking at the receivers, there are like 15 receivers that are all like, you know, very much in the conversation for top five guys. There's so many good ones. And then that leads to, well, where does Terry McLaurin, you know, uh, where is he on that list? I can I can come up with 14, 15 guys that I would take over Terry McLaurin right now. It doesn't mean that I'll feel that way in two or three years. I think he's really good. But, you know, there's some really good young receivers that you would take in front of Terry McLaurin. You'd take A.J. Brown in front of Terry McLaurin. You would take Justin Jefferson in front of Terry McLaurin. I think I'd take Calvin Ridley in front of uh, McLaurin. I think Ridley's very underrated. Uh, okay, Met- I'm going to throw Metcalf a name out the there. Same as well, yeah. 
I'm going to throw a name out there, a white guy who, when he retired, was the all-time leader in, in, in pass receptions and yards. Uh, and I'm Don not saying Maynard. he's the greatest. Yes. And if you look at the top 40 list right now mm-hmm. of the greatest receivers in terms of yards, total yardage, Don Maynard is on there as number 30. But in that top 40 of players, those who stop playing, none are within 13 years of when Don Maynard stopped playing. Wow. In other words, he stopped playing in 1973, and he's number 30 on this list. There's nobody in the top 40 within 13 years of him. Do you know who passed him on the all-time receptions list? Was it was it Art Monk? No. No, who? Charlie Taylor. Charlie really? Charlie Taylor passed Don Maynard on the all-time receptions list in the moment in 1975, I think it was. And then Charlie Joyner passed um, uh, passed uh, Char- uh, Charlie Taylor. Charlie Joyner is the closest one to Don Maynard in terms of when he stopped playing. He stopped playing in 1986. Right. And he's 25th on the uh, yardage list. On the yardage list. Yes. Where, where is he on the reception list? I don't know. I'd have to find the reception list. Yeah. You're asking me for a lot of research, and I don't get paid for that. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, all right. Uh, got a couple more things to get to. We'll do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. Tommy's got a personal dilemma that he wants to um, talk about. We are going to get to Mayor of Easttown, Episode 6 which we both watched on Sunday night. Aaron Rodgers did an interview with Kenny Mayne yesterday that I actually read about and then listened to a lot of the sound this morning on the show that my producer Brendan um, cut up and put together. I'm not sure how much was learned from Aaron Rodgers on this whole thing. There's no doubt I take him at his word that, you know, where he said Jordan loves a great kid and he said it's not about him. And why would it? Like, Aaron Rodgers is smart enough to understand that Jordan Love didn't draft himself. Like, he's there because the Packers traded up and drafted for him. Um, and he, he says, I love Jordan. He's a great kid. The one thing he said, and I don't know if you listened to the interview or read any of the things, basically he kept talking about sort of, you know, um, what makes a great organization, the people make a great organization, but what he was really referring to is the players make a great organization, not front office management people like the general manager, Brian Gutenkunst, you know, the guy that clearly I think he has targeted. That's, I think that that's the guy, like if you read between the lines in this interview and then you follow the reporting, like he wants this guy gone. And if that guy's gone, maybe he'll come back. He did not show up for the first day of OTAs. Did you did you read any of this, or did you listen to it, and did you think anything was no. learned? No, I did not. I did <clears throat> not. I, I read some headlines. That was it. Yeah. Um, weird, weird situation, man. It's Aaron Rodgers. Just would be amazing if he got traded. All right, what's your personal dilemma? Well, uh, you know, um, we have this thing we – do every year called bump stock right uh it's an annual get together of friends that i grew up with in the poconos uh hosted by a good friend of, of mine who owns a farm 
uh, and we've been doing it since 1993. Right. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. And in, in the early days, there were, were raucous times that involved wrecked vehicles and, and uh, yeah. tents floating in the water. And, <laughs> a tent floating in, in the water. Wow. Yeah, all kinds of wild stuff. Yeah. Uh, now, not so much, but still a lot of fun. Uh, well, we didn't have it last year because of COVID. And I was counting on having it this year but the host can't do it this year. And the reason I was counting on it is because this is the 50th anniversary of my high school graduating class. So you were going to go up there and kill two birds with one stone? That was the idea was, I was thinking that, you see, I was vice president of my senior class. Really? You've yes, never, I was. You've never told me that. Yeah. And I, I'm purely because I was a clown. Not because I had any particular aptitude. Or I was some kind of leader, uh-huh. but I could make people laugh. So they elected me vice president. Were you a, a part of your high school newspaper? Yes, I was. Were you like the head of your high school newspaper? No, no. I just wrote okay. about sports. Okay. Well, I mean, you weren't that uh, much and, and of a no clown. And make no mistake about it. I was a major league screw up in high school. Okay. I mean, I barely got out. My my average was like 72. Okay. When I graduated. Okay. So I barely got out of high school. I was a major screw up, but, but I, like I said, I, I was worth a laugh. So they made me vice president. Well, the president <laughs> Let's has put Lavero passed. on the ballot for VP <laughs> and see if, see if we can get him elected yeah. like a bunch There's of your friends, like, like it was a goof Some, and yeah, it happened like that. So yeah. uh, what kind of vice president of your high school senior class were you? Well, I, th- I mean, I think I thought I was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never got arrested or anything like that. That's good. Uh, so, uh, I thought I was, I was okay. Um, well, you know, I, it, with, with a, a class reunion, it generally falls to the class officers to try to organize something like this. Right. And the senior class president has since passed on, mm. which puts me kind of in charge. Oh, oh, oh my God. You're not good at organizing things like this. Oh, actually, I'm very good. Yes, you at are. You, yeah, well, I mean, you do. You do the the like thing this. that you do for the DC Grays is phenomenal. Yeah. But I mean, you've got to have passion for it. Back in the Poconos, I once put on a benefit concert for a charity with 15 bands. Really? So, yes. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty good at this, but you know, I don't have the I don't have the desire as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So, but but I feel the need and the obligation to now organize a class reunion. When was the last which, reunion? Uh, in, in you know, five years ago, but they were very loose. For the past two or three, basically what we've done is, and they have them every five years, is get together at a bar. Mm-hmm. Very loose. Right. You know, it worked great. But people expect more from the 50th. Of course. It's, it's, a, big, it's a bigger deal. How, how big was your graduating class? It was only 165 kids. How many people are left? I don't know. Okay. I don't know how many are left. Right. So, so obviously the class. So the dilemma is: is are you going to put I, this I, together I, I, or not? Yeah, I've got it. I've got to do it. This I think means you should. I've got to find a place. Yeah. To uh, rent. Right. And and then I've got to deal with getting people to send in their money for something like this. Why don't you put somebody in charge people? of that? Um, why don't you find the venue, 
get the list, mail it out, pick the date, and they get somebody to handle all of the. Because uh, you're not you're not very good with money or numbers. No, I'm get, not very good get, with money. Get somebody. That's true. Get somebody who do you have? Do you have any close friends? From that high school class that you still spend time oh, with. Oh, yes, absolutely. That's part of the thing about bump stock okay. is we're still all very close. Right. Okay. So somebody will help you with that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's the thing I dread the most is 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 a, a, a 50th class reunion where I've, I've, I've rented, rented this hall and 20 people show up, you know? Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to obviously you got to get a head count. You know, you have to have a, a deadline on on what the head count is, and or I could just blow it off. Yeah, but it's the fiftieth, and so I think the fiftieth is significant for high school, and for certainly you know for high school especially fiftieth. In these are your formative years; these are the people you spent so much time with, and some yeah. so many of them are still your friends. It, has anybody reached out to you at this point with the expectation? of a 50th high school reunion and an understanding that the guy that would have put it together is no longer with us, making you the guy that should be in charge of it. Kind of. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Well, some couple of uh, women in the class. What? Oh, what are their names? <laughs> Manny, Mo and Jack. <laughs> what are, tell me who reached out and are these, I'm not telling are you these former girlfriends out. or former friends or friends? Do you, friends. you remember these people? Yes. Okay. I remember everybody I went to high school with. I didn't go again. 165 yeah. in the I, class. See, I had a massive high school um, graduating class. I mean, I you know, I could certainly rip off a lot of names, but I couldn't yeah. rip off all of them. Um, I, you know, it's so funny, Tommy. I can tell you, and this goes for almost anybody, I'm sure, from you know, a, a big graduating high school class. Hey, do, do you know such and such? He was in your high school uh, class. Nope. Don't even remember the name. Can't even tell you that I remember the name. But with 160 or 150, you had to know. You knew them all. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so you think I I, I should follow? Through yeah, I think on my it's your I think it's your responsibility, and I think it's the 50th. If this were that's like, that's not the that's not the answer I expected from you. Really? I thought you'd say I'd blow it off. No, no, no. It's 50th, and I. I I, you know, I think you can turn it into a great night, too. I think people expect something for the 50th. And there's also another obligation that in light of COVID, people seem, people, I think, put more value on past relationships. Yes. Great point. I mean, it's, it's a lot of things have become much more meaningful in the yeah. last year and relationships and lifelong relationships and you know, look. Let's face it. No, no offense, but this may this could be the last one. <laughs> I mean, the Have next you big to one. Any of your reunions? Uh, the very first one. Um, I have not been to the last couple, and I'll I'll tell you, the last one was a few years ago, and I just didn't want to go. Don't ask me why, because I'm going to get into a long answer that I don't want to give, but, um. Uh, uh, on my street is a family um, with a daughter who was in my high school class. Actually, we go back to, you know, first grade together. And her parents still live on the street that I live on. And actually, um, Mr. Um, and he listens to the podcast. And Tom, you know who I'm talking about. He's one of my favorite people in the world. And they're such a great family. Anyway, the last reunion, his daughter, Lisa, came into town. And there were a bunch of people that got together at her house. And I went, went down there and hung out with them for a little while. 
I just didn't want to go. Plus, a lot of my really close friends weren't in town for it. And so I just sort of didn't want to go. But um, I, I went to like the first two. I, I, don't, I don't think I've been to the last so two. So what year did you graduate? But, I wanted, but what I wanted to say to you, Tommy, is 50 is a big deal. And you are the guy responsible for it. And I think that the, you know, the next big one is 75. And I hope you're around for, for that one to put it together. Because if you are around for the next one at 75, and you should be around at your you should be around for 25 more years. I have full confidence in that. Well, you this have will a be, lot of optimism, this, buddy. This will be, you'll still be the top man on this one. So, but I not everybody's gonna be there. Put it together. Do you have a place in mind? You have to have a couple of places in mind, right? I have a couple of places in mind. Yeah. yeah. So, but I haven't even begun to make the calls or explore. I'm looking for somebody to talk me out of it. And like usual, you've disappointed me. I'm sorry because I think that this is something that you should do, and I think you're going to absolutely be glad that you did it. Uh, you know, let's. By the way, the, the the hit rate on most of these things. I remember. Somebody mentioning to me, like, you know, when you get to like the 30th, like the hit rate is like 30, like 30% is a really good yeah. hit rate. So yeah. if you get 30%, uh, if, you, if you can get 45 to 50 people there, that's great. That'd be awesome. We would get that many to show up for our bar events. By the way, what happened to Wyomania? Uh, Wyomania just kind of fell by the way. I mean, I kind of dropped out. I mean, part of the reason was, uh, you know, it, I, I dropped out in 2012 because, uh, you know, that was the year of RG3, and I couldn't really take off, uh, you know, to, to go out of town on, on, on a, a Washington football weekend anymore can say they had suddenly become relevant Right. in, in 2012. God, you, you, uh, you, know, be, you loved that Wyomania for a few years. Uh, oh, that was great. That was great. All these sports writers and people in the baseball business get together for a football game in, in, in Laramie and, and a lot of drinking and hell raising. Stan Kasten went I on know, Wyomania I remember that. once. I remember that. <laughs> All right, let's finish up because I am playing golf today uh, and very excited to play golf Good today. Good for you. Say with, hi to everybody. With Steve Buckhantz. Ernie Bauer and Joe Yashroff. The four of us have been meaning and been trying to do this for a few years. Obviously, the last year, uh, not a lot of opportunities to do it. So, uh, the four of us are going to play golf today and um, and probably uh, laugh a lot uh, because we all work together and uh, way back when. And uh, some of the stories uh, are not for this air, um, but they will be uh, rehashed today for about the fifty eighth time. Um, let's real quickly finish up. Uh, what did you think of Mare of Easttown, uh, episode six? And do you have any idea who killed Aaron? Well, I liked it a lot. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and, uh, I mean, my, my impression is the kid, the boyfriend, Dylan, you know, yeah, that is, is the one now who killed him based on what happened at the police station. My one aggravation with it was this police chief had just again bent over backwards to take this woman back on the force. Right. I mean, she should have been off the force a couple of times, you know, and bent over his hands are her badge after after doing what she did. And, and I mean, obviously, she saved the, the you know, the, the, the kids who were who were being held hostage. 
Well, she went against all protocol and orders in doing it. You know, her detective partner wound up getting killed. Oh, how about that? But he says with, here with Colin. Here you mother. go. Yeah. Here you go. Back. You know, here's your here's your badge back. And and how does she repay him when he caught when he talks to her on the Ignoring phone when him. she's driving, <laughs> and she, he says pull over and wait for backup. She throws the phone down <laughs> and floors it. Yes. So that aggravated me. Other than that, I love the episode. So spoiler alert, you're a little bit late to say that for anybody that's watching this show that hasn't gotten to episode six yet. Uh, we are going to talk about this for another couple of minutes. Um, last week I told you that I thought I just had this weird feeling that Julianne Nicholson, who plays Mare's best friend, Lori, that she could be the one. Like sh- her name is second on the billing, and she had been sort of an insignificant character, and that she was going to become. A, and, and I and I gave you the theory that maybe her husband was the father of Aaron's baby, and people were going to find it out, and maybe she killed Aaron. Well, that and I thought that was a good theory. It, it, well, that's that theory shot. She's not the killer. Right. Um, you know, they led you to believe in episode five that Billy, you know, who is the, the brother-in-law of Lori and, and John's brother, that, you know, he could be it. And then he confessed during the show on Friday night. So we have somebody who's confessed to it. Yes. But then we have the twist at the end, where, as you, you mentioned, the police chief is telling her after he gets this call, like, uh, oh, my God, you know, there's a new twist. So who is it if it's not Billy? Here's my theory. I think it's John. I think it's Billy's brother, John, Lori's husband, who was, you know, cheating on her, the son, you know, for the second time. That's why he's out of the house. That's why we found out from their father that Billy came in the night of Aaron's murder, covered in blood as he was in the laundry room. And I think somehow, because we've already established that Billy is a drunk, Billy's hammered all the time, that somehow John is the father of that child. And John is the murderer. And John somehow, while Billy was completely hammered and fucked up, you know, covered him in blood in the whole thing. And um, who knows what's going to happen on this fishing trip. But I don't think it's Dylan. I, I mean, the whole Dylan thing is weird. Tommy, this show is very good, but it it's very busy. By the way, I'm going to give you one other th- person who you mentioned last week who I think is still a possibility. How he gets tied into it, I don't know. The 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 show is just it's got so much going on, almost too much going on. Like I you agree. Know, like now we have the daughter who's now becoming a stalker of her lover. Um and and you know and uh, that's a weird sort of sidebar to the whole thing and I don't think it plays into the murder of Aaron. We've got the Dylan thing with Aaron's best friend. We don't know where Aaron's best friend fits into all of this. She took that one thing from um, the journals and kept it. Um, but let me work back to the other person who I it, it, it's not going to floor me if it turns out to be him. I just don't know how they would make it be him. But you know Richard you know, the, her boyfriend, her, you know, Mare's sort of, you know, the guy that she's gone on a few dates with, who was missing entirely from episode five, who comes back into this episode. By the way, um, Brendan, my producer, said the num- um, you know, he gave me the odds. Billy's the favorite as the murderer. John is the second favorite, um, you know, which which is sort of my theory. 
Um, Dylan is, is the third pick. And then Richard is actually the fourth pick. Uh, the odds on the murder for, for, for uh, of Aaron. Now, how would they tie him into this? See, I, I would think that they'd have to twist uh, the story so bizarrely right. to get him to be the murderer that it would be disingenuous and, and not credible. I, I agree with that. I don't know how they would do it, but, you know, he, he's the one right now that maybe people are thinking about, but there's no reason you'd be thinking about him unless you're just a contrarian on this whole thing. I think it's going to yes. be Lori's husband, John, and I think somehow he set Billy up to confess or take the fall or something. Because that the, would explain the gun in the tackle box, right? Who put the gun in the tackle box? We think well, it was John put the gun there, and Billy saw that it was in there, right? That's what we think, right? Yeah, but Billy is the one that everybody says Aaron spent. The time, you know, lived with him, remember, from the last week's episode. And when they were on this family reunion, which must have been a hoot. um, In uh, the Poconos, buddy. Yeah, I know. Up there in the Poconos, um, that that Aaron was staying in his cabin or whatever, or tent or whatever it was. It's a really good show. I mean, I, I like it. I'm looking forward to it. I like it. I'm t- I mean, I know we've had this conversation before. Bosch puts it to shame. I know. You told me that. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I have a feeling it could be one of those where a week from today when we're talking about it, we're going to say, oh, God, it could have gone on two or three more episodes. They wrapped it up so quickly, so sloppily. You know, it's like the way I felt about the final season of Game of Thrones. I loved it, but it was way too condensed. They 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 sped up too many storylines where they were just not even believable. And I think that, you know, if if Richard ends up being the murderer, what you said, they'd have to concoct something that would just seem yeah. completely ridiculous. By the way, I yeah. don't I don't think it's I I certainly don't think it's the priest. Maybe it's the other deacon, the one you know who's a family friend, um, and I don't think it's Lori anymore. And I, I, my sense of it is, it's not Dylan. I don't think it is him. But Dylan did something. He's covering up. No doubt, he did something. He's covering up. Could have been anything. Could have been a relationship with you know that girl. Maybe that's you know. And and he didn't want he didn't want his new you know angry girlfriend to know about it. Oh, she's she's quite a character. By the way, the the scene where Mare goes to Colin's mother's house. Oof, that was brutal. You know what that when was? I knew that was common. Of course you did. You know what that's similar to? Yeah. Chief Brody, uh, you know, going up yes. to um, the woman all dressed in black whose son died with the shark attack, and he knew that the shark was still out there, and he gets yeah. slapped right there on the beach. Yeah. You know, that really gets Chief Brody thinking, Tommy, I got to make sure these beaches are closed and we got to go find that shark, even though I hate. Wow. Water. A Jaws reference. That's so great. <laughs> and, and, and Matt Hooper, uh, AKA Richard Dreyfus is sitting there watching the whole thing. I think my favorite thing from Jaws is when, um, you know, people are, are drawing pictures to represent the shark and, and Hooper comes around and goes, no, 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 it's much bigger than that. Uh, or, or the line is, yeah, they're all laughing at it, but they're all going to die. Um, was that Richard Dreyfus's first movie? 
No, no, he was in a couple. Of, I, look, he was he was in America's uh, oh, uh, American. Yeah, yeah, um, right. What do you call um, it? Graffiti. Um, American graffiti. American graffiti. Yeah. Yeah, and he Good was stuff. in a few others. You know, actually, he was in The Graduate. He was. He had a very small speaking role where he said, "Do you want me to call the police?" When Dustin Hoffman was was in the boarding room making a lot of, of boarding house causing a ruckus and Norman Fell was his landlord and Norman everyone Fell went from running Three's into company? the room. Huh? Norman yes. Fell from Three's Company. Yeah, he was the landlord. Yeah. And Dustin Ho- uh, and Richard Dreyfus says, Do you want me to call the police? Right. So um was Anne Bancroft hot? Yes. And you know what made her hot? She was hot. And she could, she could make one eye move. What? No, it's like she could look at you with one eye uh-huh. and make the other eye cross-eyed. Hmm. Okay. That's what made her super hot. And she was married to Mel Brooks. Right. <clears throat> All right. Uh, are we done? We didn't talk about so the much. Wizards today. I don't think anybody cares. Uh, I will talk about them tomorrow as they prepare. Did you want to say anything about the Wizards and their, their game one loss? No, except that Joel Embiid almost kicked the game to them. I mean, you know, I mean, everyone fawns about how great that guy is. I saw him with like less than two minutes left shoot like a long jumper with 20 seconds left on the shot clock and then wind up kicking the rebound out of bounds. He was not. He's not an impressive figure to me. But then it's the NBA. It all sucks. <clears throat> Joel Embiid is really good, but the play you're talking about, I think, is when they should have burned the shot clock down. The Wizards yes. were, cho- t- were, for whatever reason, choosing not to foul um, in that spot, and uh, and he dribbled the ball right off of his leg, um, which was kind of stupid. And then, look, the Wizards—they're not the highest IQ team on the planet either. Um, that's for sure. Uh, all right. We're done for the day back tomorrow.